Welcome to the Jay and Rob Toy Show, one of our side quest episodes that you guys have been seeing from me lately. Somehow shoehorned into interviewing authors and people behind magazines and the written word. I, of course, am Rob McCallum, and I'm joined by my new good friend, Zach. And Zach, I'm going to take a shot at saying your last name. It's my kryptonite to pronounce last names and remember them. Is it Papadelius? Very close. Papadelius. Papadelius. Okay, there you go. And Zach, you are pretty well known in the toy community right now, of course, because you just released a brand new book on all things Masters of the Universe, and that's Masters of the Universe Vintage Toys Reference Guide. Now this, it, you, it's hard to tell from the screen, but watch when I turn it this way. Look how big and thick that book is. Yeah, it is. Look, it's a thick one, and it's full of just tons of information, uh, a bunch of imagery. But what really impresses me the most about the book, of course, is all the foreign stuff that you've got listed in here, yeah. which for me is my unknown corner of collecting masters of the universe. It is like what I like to think is like the next tier when you become a master's collector, right? Like Absolutely. you go back, if you haven't held on to your toys as a kid, yep. you start collecting the North American release. You get that full set. Maybe you get them uh, loose first and then with accessories. Right. And then now that you've got it all in the play sets and the vehicles, what else could there be but some of the foreign releases out there and their variants because of the paint schemes are different and the materials are a little bit different. And your book talks about that, which is which is really cool. Before we dive into that book, though, and you can get it right now on Lulu Books, order it right there directly. Lulu Books will help you out and hook you up before we get into more details on your book. I want to know about who you are. That's why I love doing these shows where I get to actually just, you know, we talk about whatever's going on, promote the products and stuff, but I want to know who you are. What's your story, my friend? Well, my story is like, like everybody else, I'm a child of the eighties, grew up with He-Man and Transformers and GI Joe and all that cool stuff that we had in Saturday morning cartoons. And uh, yeah, like you said, I, I gave up my childhood collection, you know, back when I became a teenager, wasn't interested in toys anymore. And got back into collecting probably like mid 2000, 2005, maybe somewhere around there. Sure. And it's funny because you talk about getting the whole, you know, North American collection. And then what's what, what else is there? I had no idea that all this foreign variants even existed until like the advent of the Internet and eBay and, you know, meeting people that, you know, from other countries that had all this stuff. So it, w it was really cool. And yeah, I'm, I'm strictly a master's collector at this point. I, I really don't have the time or the money to collect anything else. So that, that's my passion. I just, I love the toy line, brings me back to my childhood. And it's why I do it. I just love it, you know? So tell me about that, that childhood then, man. Like what was it about masters as a kid Wow. That really resonated and started that spark. What are some of those early memories you have, either with the cartoon or the show or the cartoon or, or the figures? How, how did that come together? Well, I, I actually got into it before the cartoon. It was, you know, I, I think I'm born in 74. So I, I was like eight or nine years old when they hit the stores. And I just remember walking into Bradley's with my parents and, and going to the toy aisle and seeing the box art for Castle Grayskull. And it just instantly transported me into this world. And it was just, I had to have it. And, you know, I'll be honest, I'm the youngest of four. And, and my, all my siblings are much older than me. So there's a big age gap. 
So I spent a lot of time by myself and just me with my toys. So my He-Man figures, they just became, you know, my friends, my confidants, you know, and, and just were very special to me at that age. You know, it was like just having that, that, you know, that iconic persona, that, that, that person to look up to at that young age. And it just, it kind of never left me. It always stuck with me. And then of no. course, go ahead. Sorry. I was, of course, once the cartoon hit, I was the kid running home from school to make sure I catch the, you know, the latest episode and all that. So I was very into the whole, the whole world of it, honestly. Yeah. And there was no shortage of, of stuff to uh, satiate that itch when Masters Mania really hit just everything yeah. from party favors to cake pans to yeah. sleeping bags, bicycles, uh, literally everything was, it was yeah. almost like Star Wars again, right? Like everything oh, that you could slap a logo on had a logo. Absolutely. Yeah. Did you have any like weird stuff that wasn't action figures, like merchandise that had the logo on it that you were like particularly fond of? Not really. Um, you know, we weren't that well off back then. So I was kind of, I was, I was happy to have the toys basically, you know, but I had the lunchbox and, and maybe like the pencil case and that kind of weird stuff, but nothing crazy, you know? And I just, uh, God, my, my, the best Christmas of my life, honestly, was Christmas of 83. Cause that was like the He-Man Christmas. I got the castle, I got the attack track, you know, I just, it was unbelievable. It was just everything I wanted in one Christmas. And, and it was just, that's just stayed with me my whole life, honestly. Do you remember any specific playtime scenarios that you would get all your figures out and like set up and just recreate? Was it mainly like going after the show plots or were you just creating your own stuff? No, um, actually, I followed more like the canon from the mini comics, I think. You know, when the show came out, I was kind of confused. Like, wait a minute, this isn't the Masters of the Universe that I'm familiar with. You know, and I love the show, but it wasn't it wasn't the world that I created. I, I kind of followed the the mini comics where, you know, He-Man was a barbarian that that got this special sword from the Green Goddess. So that was always kind of, you know, my gameplay. But I, I had a friend growing up, you know, a girl and uh, we we're like very close in age and I just remember He-Man used to always kidnap her Barbie dolls and that would be like, we would incorporate the play together. And that was, that was a lot of fun. Crossplay has always been the most fascinating thing to me. I, I don't remember ever specifically just playing with one toy brand at one time. It was always a mix up, even if it was like green army men, we're going to play with He-Man or Ninja Turtles or Ghostbusters, you know, just every, everybody comes to the table when it, when it's time to play. Growing up, at what point did you lose that master's itch? Was there a specific time where you maybe picked up a new figure or the figures disappeared where you're just like, eh, I kind of want to go play guitar now instead of play toys? Yeah, um, I, I kind of lost the master's itch probably before the line even ended. So, yeah, probably like, you know, 85 maybe. I remember getting very into G.I. Joe. That, that became like my new passion. I really enjoyed, you know, the three and three quarter figures and, and assembling the vehicles and stuff that, that became like my new toy line. But yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, you know, I, I got into the preteen years, started playing guitar, you know, chasing girls, looking at cars and, just, you know, just kind of grew out of it. Like every kid does at that age, you know, but something, something in the back of my mind, it was always there. And, and it wasn't until I actually realized that, that my collection had been like discarded that it wasn't there anymore, that I was just kind of like, oh, man, like, I'm missing something now, you know? No. So, I, 
started my, like, I'm going to get a He-Man figure off of eBay. And then next thing I know, I have six totes full of figures in the basement. And, you know, I'm buying people's collections and, and all this craziness, you know? Now, during that period where you put down the toys and picked up the guitars and were, you know, into car culture and, and chasing girls and stuff, He-Man's still in the back of your head. For me, it was very much like this thing that I thought I only knew, kind of knew and remembered. So when like childhood shows would come up during high school and the teen years, would be like, oh, no, I like He-Man. I like He-Man. But like nobody else could really talk about it. And so there was almost a little bit of shame that like my favorite thing was He-Man. A lot of people were into Ninja Turtles or Ghostbusters, which had a lot of big, well-known movies and several of them. But yeah. He-Man, for me growing up, was a little bit like, oh, that's a weird thing. But it's cool that you have your own thing, Rob. What was it like hanging on to the He-Man love in the background of other things for you? Definitely didn't talk about it with your friends. That's for sure. <laughs> and it's funny because, you know, where, I, where I'm from, Transformers seemed to be the thing that stayed with, with a lot of, lot of us guys into our teenage years. So to the point where they're even still like reading, you know, Transformers comics and stuff. So I just kind of jumped on that bandwagon with them. Like, yeah, I'm cool. I like Transformers too. But I never really brought up the whole He-Man thing. And it was just, just nobody ever did. Nobody ever talked about it. Like you said, it was kind of like my own personal thing with me. And like a lot of my friends just either just didn't talk about it or didn't know about it. You know, it was weird. But yeah, Transformers was the thing where like if you were a teenager into cars, it was still cool to be into Transformers. Yeah, I, f I would say that Turtles and Transformers were the same around this area. Probably Transformers a little bit more because robots you could take a little bit more seriously than maybe like surfer, pizza munching, mutant teenage turtles. Uh, and then G.I. Joe was like a thing that was fondly remembered, especially when those parody PSAs came out from Fensler right. Films right, right around 2004, 2005. That made that stuff hip again. And it was about 20 years from the uh, Transformers movie and the G.I. Joe movie, of course at that point but uh masters had you know tried to do a reboot at that point in 2002 didn't really catch on a lot of people oh. were like oh yeah you like that didn't you rob you, you kind of like that and it's like Honestly, oh no, i love it it's awesome and they're like oh okay good for you i think i'm glad you love it until i started collecting later that i discovered the 2002 line i didn't even know that was out at the time completely passed me by and here you are now with totes and totes of vintage figures. You've gone yeah. back, you've tracked it down. Uh, how, I'm curious, how much of that stuff did you buy off, off eBay or other online sources versus hunting in the wild? Um, a lot of the initial collection I bought off of eBay. And, and this was back when nobody really cared about Masters of the Universe. So vintage figures were, were fairly cheap. And you were able to buy somebody's whole collection for less than $200. So, and this is kind of where I started realizing the variance was I'd buy somebody's whole collection and then there'd be like a weird mechanic in there. And I'd be like, wait a minute, this doesn't look like the mechanic that I know. Like, what is this? And, you know, oh, there's, there's no country stamp on the back. Like, where's this from? And that kind of led me down into, into discovering like heman.org and getting into, you know, the online community with people just asking like, hey, what is this weird figure I found in a collection? Or like, you know, why is this sort of different color than it should be? And just got immersed in that whole, you know, online world of, of people. And honestly, I've, I've made some wonderful friends over the years and, and like, you know, some really great people out there. But it, it was it, it was buying vintage figures was they were giving them away. It was so cheap. I didn't really have to go hunting. <laughs> you know, it was 
I, yeah, I, they were there. Yeah, yeah. They, they were in the four for five dollar bins in most toy stores and like the 80s stuff in the back and 100%. You know, all the McFarland stuff, all the higher articulated detail, DC, Lord of the Rings figures were all at the front. Right. But anything that was 80s toys, like LJN wrestlers or yes. box of GI Joes yes. or Masters, Thundercats, maybe we're just in a box kind of thrown away at, at, just out of the spotlight just right. enough that you can't hardly see it i can't tell you how many brave star figures i just put to the side that were included in in he-man lots that i bought so i was like oh what is this i'm not even interested in that what is that and i kind of <laughs> i kind of wish i had all those brave star figures right now honestly but I yeah bet. yeah it was it was a, a weird point in collecting where the <laughs> thing that i was into was cheap and, and easy to get well, here's here's my uh, collecting story that goes along those lines. I remember in 2002, I bought a carded He-Man and Skeletor. They were Tops toys from Argentina, He-Man oh, and Skeletor. Wow. But I had no idea what was going on. They were $100 each. Oh, man. It's like, I'm like, oh, I didn't get like a regular one. It has like this big yellow and black He-Man sticker on top. And they're still at my local toy store here because I know the owner. It's Heroes Comics in London. And I, and I sold them to him when I made my first documentary nintendo quest and he's just kept them and, and hung on to them now wow. i don't think he's gonna let them go to me out of out of you know um compassion or anything but it's cool that he has them. i'm still able to see them but now that the foreign stuff is so huge it's like oh man i really didn't know what i was letting go at the time well and that's what it is we just didn't know you know because before the internet how would you ever know that like there was a toy line in argentina why would you know <laughs> you know what i mean yeah it's it crazy I remember seeing a lot of that stuff and just thinking it was like a bootleg because there were so many masters knockoffs that right. anything that was slightly colored differently, you thought, well, maybe they just put like a different head on it or they took like the real head and right. just like some weird knockoff body, not yep. thinking that it was just an official release from another territory. No. And a lot of that stuff, the quality is not even close to what we're expecting from a Mattel release. So yeah, right. you look at it and you don't even think this is official. Because even the feel of it is just not the same, you know. So yeah, you you wouldn't think it was an official release, definitely. So, so let's talk about the book because I want to know when this journey started because this didn't happen over a weekend. No, you didn't just start no. going through your figures and say, oh, "I'll just jot this down about that." I'll just write this. This again, this is your big boy. This yeah. is your full uh, Mac Daddy there of yeah. Masters of the Universe information. You cover everything from the mini comics. Uh, U.S. patents that are in the back, which is really unique from other toy books that are out there. Uh, you have full-on descriptions. Uh, again, the vehicles, the accessories. You even have a little bit of a checklist that people can check off as they acquire stuff just so right. they know what's missing and what they've got. Where did this come from? What was the vision? And what was that process like? Well, th this came from the lack of there being a checklist that was more complete. So as I started learning about these variants and collecting them and, you know, I, I kind of wanted to keep track of everything. I said, wow, it'd be great if there was if there was a checklist out there. So, so I started just kind of putting it together for myself. And just as I started finding things out, I would just, you know, jot it down. And the next thing I know, I have like these gigs and gigs of data that I said, wow, you know, I, I think other collectors would be interested in this, especially now that, you know, Motu has taken like such a big turn and is back popular again. And I, I see on, you know, with, with Facebook and all these forums and stuff like, hey, this is, people are asking questions. Like I actually have the answers to some of these questions. 
So, hey, man, why not put it together? (laughs) All those years have paid off. I can answer someone's online question. Yes, exactly. But um, that that started officially about four years ago, right? I decided, okay, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to put this all together and I'm going to release it. And about halfway through, Pixel Dan announced that he was writing the book, you know, and he was going to come out with the toy book. So I mm-hmm. said, all right. I said, you know what? I like Dan. Dan's a great guy. He's always been very supportive. I don't want to step on anybody's toes. And especially when I saw Val was involved, these guys have kept the, the franchise alive for decades. Like, you know, if they're putting out a book, I'm going to back off and let them do their thing. So, you know, talking back and forth with Dan, realized that he wasn't going to cover the variants. And well, you see why. I mean, his book is 800 pages already. Add my yeah. 800 pages of data to that, and it, it just becomes, you know, a monster. So I was going to give up. And I, and I told Dan, I said, listen, if you want my data, it's yours. You know, just, just give me a credit, and, and you can add it to your book and do whatever you want with it. You can do a sequel book. And he convinced me. He said, no, put out your book, man. He says, do it. You know, this is something that people would like to know. He said, and he really, honestly, it was Pixel Dan that encouraged me to just follow through and, and stay with it and, and publish the book. So that, that's what I did. I said, as long as, as long as I'm not upsetting these guys and stepping on anybody's toes, like, you know, uh, cool, I'll, I'll write my book and I'll publish it. And it is what it is. So fast forward now, you know, a couple of years further down the road, and I've got this behemoth. And, and honestly, you know, you, we say how thick it is a 400 page book. There's still figures and, and things that I couldn't include in this book because I couldn't confirm them personally. And, and I kind of and you understand, it, it, you know, making films and documentaries and stuff, you have to give yourself guidelines. Yeah. You, kinda, you have to stay within your guidelines. Otherwise, I'd still be working on this book. You know, it, it'll never end unless you draw a line in the sand and kind of commit to a rule and a scope. Exactly. Because you will just keep researching, keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And, and with this toy line, you're always going to keep finding that. That's the thing with this line. Like it kind of never ends. Every year there's new stuff that nobody knew about. So I, I gave myself certain guidelines that if I couldn't personally confirm the variants and all like, you know, the, the copyright stamp and everything that goes along with it, I wasn't going to include. So I know there's a lot of guys out there like, oh, you missed this and you missed that. It's like, yeah. I didn't necessarily miss it, but for for reasons I, I couldn't include it, you know, and, and a big part of it was was so that the book didn't seem incomplete. I didn't want to put a list of figures out with a bunch of holes in the data that, you know, we couldn't confirm. So I, I had to put a limit on it. And that's where we ended up. We ended up with like 400 pages. So, so short. What a quick read. It's unfortunate yeah. you couldn't go the whole distance. No, I know. I know. Uh, honestly, there, there was so much more that I had planned, but with, with certain licensing issues and, and you know, other things, I, I really just couldn't include it. And, you know, maybe one day I'll do, you know, a part two or a revision or something and, and put that stuff out there. But, you know, I, I, I said to myself, all right, I have to draw the line. I have to get this book out. And, and you know, but it's out there. It's out there now and it's smooth sailing, right? It's uh, out there. Everybody's happy. You haven't had any obstacles. It's been a dream come true. Like all good things that take time. It's out there. And that's the easy part. Or is uh, there more to the story? Turns out writing the book was the easy part, honestly. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, you know, I'm self-published. So, you know, 
I, I have a print on demand, you know, Lulu books and, and I was on Amazon, not anymore. But um, yeah, my biggest obstacle, believe it or not, was Mattel. And I, I just, I, when I started this project, I tried to get licensing and I tried and I tried and I sent them letters and I sent them outlines and I sent them samples and they would never even bother to respond. So after looking into the legalities of it, you know, I realized that, okay, if I, you know, write this book in a certain way, I can, you know, I can publish it. It's fair use. You know, I'm not going to use any of their imagery. I'm not going to use any of their artwork, you know, so, and, and it's literally pictures of my personal collection that are in the book. So I figured, okay, you know, I'm good. So I published my book on Lulu. I get it on Amazon. It's on barnesandnoble.com and, and, you know, Sales are going great. There's, there's a bunch of people who are reviewing the book. It's getting very positive feedback. And then next thing I know, Mattel, you know, sends Amazon a complaint of, for some kind of infringement. And Amazon drops the book from their site and is no longer available for sale. Oh, this sounds like a, t- a tale that I'm quite familiar with. Maybe not in book form, but. Unfortunately. And, it's and very know, similar, doesn't it? As you know, James Etock did the artwork for this book. James is a friend of mine. And uh, yeah, we, we have a, had a lot of interesting conversations about, you know, certain things not being able to be released. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it's, it's really, really unfortunate because, uh, you know, there's a lot of people like James Etock and Val Staples and, and, you know, Pixel Dan and you and, and you've been carrying this this line from Mattel when nobody else cared. Yeah. And it just doesn't make sense that now now that Masters is back in the spotlight that Mattel is actually going after the people who love and celebrate the brand. It just doesn't make sense to me. Now, how do you feel about that? I mean, I know it doesn't make sense, but you work four years on this stuff. James has been working on, you know, the return of Faker for a long time too. And we're starting that journey as right. we're documenting and faking filmation, as I'm sure, you know, well, I'm back in number eight. So. Backer number eight. Here that's you go. Right. Perfect. Right. There you go. Oh, that's right. That's right. I remember when you did that, we were talking with James on Facebook about right. that. That's, that's right. funny. That's funny. Uh, how, do, how do you feel about that whole thing? I mean, this kind of comes down to the spirit of who really owns the brand. Should somebody be able to put out something as simple as a reference guide without getting too much flack, do you think? Or do you think Mattel has, has a right to say, no, you, you can't do this. You can't make money off of our thing. Well, I mean, listen, Mattel has rights. It's their property, of course. You know, but we're celebrating a 40-year-old toy line. I mean, we're celebrating a 40-year-old cartoon that we love. And, and I don't think any of us here are, are trying to get rich off of it. It's just we're sharing information. We love the brand. We love what you do. I still, to this day, I'm, I'm buying every Origins figure that comes out. I'm still supporting Mattel and everything they do, Masters of the Universe. So, you know, I, I think they do own the, the rights to the property, sure. But I think it becomes a certain point when you, when you put something out that's so beloved that a certain part of that belongs to the fans as well. And I don't think anyone is trying to hurt the brand or trying to hurt Mattel. Certainly none of us are getting rich off of this. So I really just don't understand why they're not allowing us to celebrate their property. 
You know, it just doesn't make well, sense. Yeah. I mean, it's the age old thing, you know, it's their property, like you said, and of if course. they can't control how it comes out, then nobody shall, none shall pass without my permission. Right. Like I a hundred percent understand where you are. I love the spirit of the independent uh, fan driven project. I'm very much the same with, you know, power of Grayskull, our documentary was not official by any means. It wasn't until later that Mattel thought, oh, this is okay, we're going to let this happen, and we were able to help each other, okay. and it got out, and that's why it was part of the DVD sets of, of He-Man and she so it's kind of like an official documentary because they uh, they acquired it for the release of the cartoon series, at least, but it's still not really official, and we didn't start it out with anybody's permission. We just kind of kept doing our own thing, right. and on that note, man, like, like you mentioned pixel dan's book that he did with val staples and, and a yeah. bunch of other people that helped contribute to that i've always been of the mindset that more is better that Great. you know yeah. 10 people could do 10 books or 10 films or whatever and they're all going to be different and executed in their own way some of the information may overlap uh but i think having more is good especially for the fandom for the culture and for exposing to new people that might not see the other iterations correct we got tons of flack when we announced Power of Grayskull, because Toy Masters was still up in the air about what they were going to do, wow. right? And right. then, and then Toys That Made Us came out with their episode like six months before our right. film came out. Yes, and yes. you know, yes. people want to debate. You know, I like this about this. I like this about this. Like to me, I love it because people are just talking about it. Exactly. Right? Exactly. That's what matters to me: the discussion, not not the answer. The discussion, yep. the, the pros and the cons. I like something about toy masters i like something about the toys that made us episode i like something about the film that you know our crew made but more is always better i think so when when i saw this book i was like hey this is great this this has a bunch of stuff in a different way presented in different in a way but also a bunch of new stuff that hasn't been covered and and this this you bring up a point about getting people talking about it and this is the part where, like about mattel again it really confuses me is you know when they shut down the whole you know jurassic park youtube sites and it's like dude they're just talking about your stuff it's like you know when somebody can do a review of my book and I, it doesn't really matter if they love it or hate it they're talking about it and that's like the most flattering thing to me is that people are actually taking the time to talk about my work and, and it's unfortunate that you know a corporation doesn't see it that way you know and like you said they want to control every bit of, of you know what what is being said about their ip and in my case i gave them every opportunity I, I tried to work with them for, I spent two years trying to work with them, you know, and they just didn't even bother to respond. It wasn't even a no, they just didn't even bother to respond. So it's, it's, it's tough, right? Because sometimes if they don't have that control, if it wasn't their idea, then they can't do it for a bunch of other reasons too. Yeah. Right? It's, it doesn't make sense, but I always like to think never operate out of a place of fear where you say no by default and say yes after the chain of command a hundred times in a row. Right. You know, Star Wars was forever fan friendly for the longest time. And then yeah. of course the Disney acquisition changed that right. Star Trek was very fan friendly up until like around the turn of the century as well, because they knew it was the fan communities that kept that going right. when there was nothing going on, on, on television. And then there was only feature films and then nothing going on in the theater. And it was the fans that kept the conventions going and the community and the dialogue it's the discussion that matters most like you said yeah, and look and at Star Trek. that was a show that was on for three seasons in the 60s yeah not for the fans like the movies never would have existed the toy lines like all the stuff that came after 
was from like a fan base demand. Yeah. yeah, the animated show from Filmation right. was right. out of fan base demand because they had scripts and they had a lot of the staff writers from the original show. So it was an easy way to get the gang back together and, exactly. and make it happen. Imagine what could happen with He-Man if they would let the fans, you know, get it out well, of there more. Now, that's not something I want to be. I, I'd love to film it, like get like all the fans in one room of, of He-Man or have a bunch of online sessions, thousands and thousands of them. Right. And let fans t- tell you what, what a He-Man movie or show should be oh, because shit. you'd never get anybody to agree because uh, everybody has a different no, you know, ba- base for it. But again, that's what makes it so good. And I mean, yeah. people do that with Batman though too and Superman. Yeah. Yes. How many iterations of Batman or James Bond have there been? And right. it's okay, but I feel like it, heaven forbid you do something different with He-Man because you will like piss everybody off in the yeah, fandom. Well, we, we saw that recently, you know, with Revelation. Yeah, a lot of people were pretty upset about that one. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, there's pros and cons to everything out there. I don't think anything is like awesome or like completely shit. It's like, it, it's okay that it does its own thing and takes pieces from other stuff. I, I don't know. That's just me. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna die on the sword because somebody makes a cartoon that you know doesn't fulfill my entire wish list. No, no, absolutely. So, uh, where can people again grab this book, man? Because uh, I think people should check it out. It's available on LuluBooks.com. You can just either you know search my name or Masters of the Universe. It pops right up. It's actually the only Masters of the Universe book on there, so it's easy to find. And yeah, it's available. In, they'll, they'll print you one up and ship it right out to you anywhere in the world. And yeah, definitely get a copy. If you're collecting, I, I think there's a lot of information that you would you would like to have. And where can people find you to just get in touch with you and have those conversations or if they want to reach out and say, hey, we'd love to have you on our YouTube channel to talk about the book. Where can people get a hold of you? I am on Facebook, Zach Papadelius. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, anybody open to reach out to me, talk to me, friend me. I'm there and usually answer a lot of questions for people. And that, that's definitely where people can find me. What's next, man? What, what do you got going on? You said there's stuff that didn't get included in this. Obviously you're dealing with some ups and downs on the release of, of this as it is. What's, what's next on the horizon for you? Is it just to continue to push the book? Are you going to do a GI Joe version since that's another uh, one of your passions? What, yeah. where, where are you at? What's the future uh, hold? I'm probably not going to go into any other toy line. I don't think I'm qualified to, to write a book on GI Joe or anything, but yeah, uh, there might be a revision to this in the future. Um, writing this book, I learned a lot and actually made some contacts of some very knowledgeable people. So there might be a collaboration in the future, maybe, maybe be able to verify some of those other variants that I couldn't this time around and, you know, maybe get some of that other information out in some, you know, different ways. But um, as it stands right now, I'm just going to just going to let this ride and see how it plays out. And then, uh, you know, maybe start working on another project. I, I, just, I just don't know if I have another four years to to commit to something at the moment. But there, I'm not done. There's definitely something else coming. There's, there's a lot more information that I'd like to share with everybody. So there will be something else in the future. That's awesome. I'm going to I'm going to put you on the spot right now. OK, so I'm holding up. Mossman in my hands here, vintage yeah. Mossman. Now, this isn't any kind of special Mossman or anything like that. But what can you tell everybody that's watching and listening about the variants of Mossman that are out there that are interesting or that they might not know? 
Um, there's actually quite a few variants of Mossman. The regular release is, it was mostly from Malaysia, which is the, like the standard one that you're holding right there. But there are some very cool variants out of Argentina that are just like the the flocking is awesome on it. Yeah. And uh, there, there's there's variants with, with the, the head differences where one has actually the larger Beastman style head, the, the, like the second release Beastman head. And it's like a hard head. And then you have the regular soft head, like what you have there. Yeah, there's just there's a lot of cool stuff about about Mossman. And then the version from India barely has any flocking at all, which actually was my favorite because I kind of like Mossman without the flocking. I was never a big fan of the flocking, so I kind of like one that's very sparsely flocked, and <laughs> just like a green. I don't, I don't know. I, I like the flocking. It's it's kind of like Stinkor, right? Like there's just a sensory. Yeah, uh, nostalgic time travel thing when you hold a Mossman in your hand. Ah, mine used to get you don't get that when you when it's on card. You've got to touch the toy to have that feeling. Oh, you know I'm what I mean? And that's why it's so special. Yeah. I don't know. I'm a, I'm a mint on card kind of guy, but some of these you know vintage ones are a little, little out of my price range, so I have to go with like loose. But yeah, I don't know. I, I, I kind of like the mint on card look. Uh, I don't know. I'm into that. Yeah, I, I get it. But toys are meant to be played with and touched, right? Otherwise, you're just looking at a, at a package. Right, right. Yeah, and it oh, could be an illusion. There might not be anything in that bubble. <laughs> no, my you're just being cool. Loose. So, and then I do, and I, I admit it, I get down and play with them every once in a while. Absolutely. Cool, cool. Well, I appreciate you stopping by today and talking, of course. I'm sure we'll, we'll catch up again and talk movies yeah, and right. guitars and music and and non-master stuff going forward. Uh, if anybody out there is, wants to get a hold of me, of course, here on this YouTube channel, uh, Rob McCallum, writer-director, and on Twitter, of course, at Rob McZob, and on Instagram, at Action Figure Adventure. Our Kickstarter for Season 2 is coming up, folks, so that's your chance to be part of that adventure. Join the, the road trip, so to speak. Come on the quest with us and see what happens as Jay journeys out to uh, collect coolest rarest most noteworthy action figures all in the name of charity to help critically and terminally ill sick children uh talk about toys for a good cause it's it's a blast season one's available everywhere of course and uh we try to end all of this all these episodes with the same kind of catchphrase for the love of toys and the warmth of scars scarves take care of yourself take care and each other yeah cheers bye